0: This morning, I just felt led by the Lord to hit the pause button in our Joshua series and just talk for a moment to our church family about our mission as a church. Now, how many of you would agree that this has been one crazy difficult year? No doubt. And let me just recap the obvious. By early to mid-March, most places in the world were closed. I mean, completely shut down for the COVID-19 global pandemic. And so many people lost so much. I mean, some people lost loved ones, which is tragic beyond measure. Others lost their jobs, lost their income, lost their businesses. And all of us lost a sense of normalcy, right? We all wondered, what's the world going to be like going forward? And what's interesting is many crises have a unifying effect. For example, if you take September 11, 2001, when terrorist planes flew into the Twin Towers, American patriotism soared. There was this unifying effect like, this is our country, our nation, and we stand together. Unfortunately, though, COVID-19 seemed to have the opposite effect. Instead of unifying us as a nation, uniting us, it's been more divisive, more polarizing. And it feels like we're divided into two primary groups. Those who say, we got to open it back up. I mean, shutting down the economy is causing more damage than COVID. And those who would say, no, 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 we need to be cautious and keep the virus from spreading. And then, of course, there are all sorts of people somewhere in between. But people are divided. And we feel this big time, even in the church world. People were really upset whenever the church closed its physical doors. Like, where's your faith? Keep the church open. Fight the government. And then when we opened back up, most people were not coming back and they weren't ready. And and some were saying, well, what are you doing? You know, you're risking lives. And there's just so much tension, so much discord, so much division. And then when you think things couldn't get any worse, our nation experienced the deaths of several people of color. And this brought to the forefront of our attention the whole issue of racism and people debating how much of an issue that is. Then suddenly there's more anger, more disagreement, more division. And my guess is the devil is laughing and celebrating and rejoicing in all this division especially when it comes to the church. Because when the church is divided, we become weak. We become ineffective. We often become overlooked in this world. And as if that wasn't enough, you can add to the litany of current events, the fact that we are facing a sharp political divide in our country right now. In two days, there's going to be an election, which will lead to more civil unrest, regardless of which direction the nation votes. I believe things are gonna get a little crazier in the near future, which is why I felt the need to remind us all of our mission and how we're to respond as a church. But before we go there, let me say three quick words about this upcoming election. First of all, it's a blessing and a privilege to vote in our nation. And every one of you should take advantage of the opportunity and vote according to your conscience, aligned with God's truths and God's values in scripture. And second, as with all matters, you should be praying diligently for our nation, praying for its leadership, praying for revival. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, Paul says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Can I remind you of something? The most powerful tool you have as a Christian is prayer. That's your most powerful weapon is prayer. Like you can be an activist and argue with someone until you're blue in the face, but only God can change their heart. And prayer is what moves the hand of God. So if you wanna make a difference in our nation, get on your knees, get on your knees, people. Okay, so you, you vote and you pray. And then when it's all said and done, no matter how it turns out, you need to trust. Trust that God is sovereign over the governing powers everywhere. This is the way the Apostle Paul said it in Romans 13.1. He said, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Hmm. You know, when Paul wrote this, the Caesar, the main governing authority was the Emperor Nero. Nero. Folks, he was one of the most wicked Christian persecuting men in all of history. And God established him. They were to be subject to to Nero, to him? Say what? What in the world does this first mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means God will accomplish his purposes regardless of who is in or not in office at the time. God will accomplish his purposes regardless of the government of the land. Boy, that's good news, isn't it? God's plan, His mission, the mission of His church is not limited by what's going on politically, culturally, economically. That's why we don't get bogged down in those matters here at Hill Country Bible Church Georgetown, because our mission doesn't change one iota as a result of Tuesday's election or any other event in the world. Our calling remains the same. And I know right now what some of you are thinking. But but, but pastor, what if the economy like completely falls apart? What if I lose everything financially? Or what if our country turns to socialism, totalitarianism, communism? What if our culture degrades into gross immorality? Like what if the church loses its 501c3 status and gets persecuted for preaching and practicing the regressive values of the Bible? What if the church is taken over and controlled by the state and the true church has to go underground? Yes, some or all of that could happen. But again, it won't change God's plan for us one iota. And I'll let you in on a little secret. In all the above circumstances, historically, Christianity has actually thrived. In fact, the church is currently thriving all around the globe under those kinds of oppressive governments. And it will thrive in the future, I'm sure. Why? Because God will accomplish his purposes regardless of the government of the land. Now, do I want those things? No way. Do I have some angst about that? Absolutely, I do. Think about it. As a pastor, I have as much to lose or more than anyone. I don't exactly want to do prison ministry from the other side of the prison bars but it won't change God's calling on my life. It won't change my mission and it shouldn't dissuade us as a church. And folks, it won't stop me from preaching the gospel, from preaching the whole counsel of God's word, come hell or high water in the United States of America. So regarding the upcoming election, here are your action steps. You should vote, you should pray, and then you should trust. Trust that no matter the outcome, God has a plan, and he is still in charge. Okay, now let's talk about how we can stay focused as a church in the weeks, the months, and the years ahead. I mean, since the mission of the church does not change based on outside circumstances, and since it's been the same for 2,000 years now, what I want to do today is to make the same passionate appeal to you that the Apostle Paul made to the believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.10. This is what he said. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul says, I appeal to you. That term means, I beg you, I plead with you, I urge you that there be no divisions in the family of God. And it's so interesting, the word Paul used in the Greek here, when he urged that there would be no divisions, it's the Greek word schisma. And it literally means a split, a ripping or a tearing apart. When we, who are called the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, get into heated fights and arguments about issues not central to the gospel, not central to the Christian faith, be it COVID, mass, social, political issues. When we're not united in mind and thought, essentially what we're doing, according to Paul, is this. We're taking the very body of Jesus, the body of Christ, and tearing it into pieces. That's a graphic image, I know. But we're supposed to present a united front to the world, be a light into the darkness, now, if Paul's appeal isn't enough, let me show you the prayer of Jesus. The cry of the heart of our Savior to his Father in heaven, it's recorded in John 17. And this is what Jesus said right before he went to the cross. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay, that would be us today, that all of them may be one. Why? Why? so that they may be brought to complete unity. We're to be unified around our mission, sharing the good news of Jesus with the world, because then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Hmm. Jesus prayed above all that we would be united, because if we're divided we're weak. But if we're united, if we resist the schemes and the attacks of the evil one, we can usher in God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And so Paul and Jesus, they're saying the same thing. They're praying for unity with a singular focus, getting the gospel to lost people. Now think about this. What if we could be the generation that's the answer to their prayers? Wouldn't that be awesome? And the question is this, how do we do it? Like, how do we become one? And what would it take to unify the church around the truth and mission of Jesus? I think the answer is pretty simple. It would take one common enemy and one common mission. A common enemy and a common mission. And that's the main takeaway for us today. We have one enemy and we have one mission and grasping this fact, I think it'll unify the church. So let's talk first about the concept of one enemy. All right, Paul said this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, our battle, it's not against other people. Our battle, Paul says, is against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, we have to understand that the church down the street, they're not our enemy. Those who use a different version of the Bible, they're not our enemy. Those who worship in a different expression of music, they're not our enemy. The person who votes differently than we do is not our enemy. And yes, I'm meddling right now, getting up into your Facebook business, but it's true. The person with a different skin color, they're not our enemy. Those with a different background or who enjoy different music or dress differently or express themselves differently, they're not the enemy. We have one enemy. He's the devil. He's the prince of darkness, the father of lies, the great deceiver. Jesus called him the thief in John 10.10. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil, Lucifer, Satan, wants to steal our unity, kill our churches, and destroy our witness as a light into a very dark world. Why? Because united around the gospel, we are unstoppable to show the love and grace of Jesus to a broken, hurting world. But divided, We're weak, ineffective. And what is one of the strongest unifying forces? A common enemy. You know that to be true, like in your family, right? You might have a brother or sister, and they drive you crazy. You pick on them. They annoy you. You can barely tolerate them until somebody else messes with your sibling, right? And suddenly you realize, ooh, blood is always thicker. You don't mess with someone I love. See, I hope you understand that the devil is attacking the body of Christ right now. He's attacking our nation. And the enemy is not the people you can't stand, the people who stand opposed to your ways of thinking, your ideals. And that's why Jesus said this over in Matthew 5, 43 to 45. He said, for you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. The enemy is not who you think. You're to love and pray for those on the other side of the political aisle from you, not hate them. They're not the real problem. The enemy is. But do we recognize the enemy? I mean, really, do we say, oh, I see what you're doing there, devil. I see what you're doing. We're not going to stand for it and let you divide us. I sure hope so. So one thing that'll unite us as followers of Jesus is one enemy. But another thing that unites us as followers of Christ is one mission. One mission. You know, after Jesus suffered brutally on a cross and gave his life to pay for our sins, God raised him from the dead. Before he left this earth, Jesus gave his disciples and us a calling. Are you ready for this? Here's your reason for being on earth. Here's your mission. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's who you are. That's what you're to do. That's our mission as a church, to go and make disciples, followers of Jesus. We're going to talk more about what making disciples means in the near future. Let me give you a little clue. It's not a program in the church. It's a personal responsibility that you have as a believer, as a Christian. See, Jesus didn't say, go to a church building. No. We're called to go into the world and share the good news that there's a God who loves people, who sent his son Jesus to die for their sins, to help people know that a simple act of faith in God's son Jesus is all it takes to receive God's grace and forgiveness and enter into a relationship with him. And by the way, that's what we should be known for as the church, the same love, the same grace, the same forgiveness that our God is known for. But sadly, you know, what are we known for today? You ever think about that? You know, if you ask the average Joe on the street, what do you think about the church? Like what's the church known for? Well, some people would say the traditions of the church. Like others might say the historic buildings, the, the beautiful architecture. Some would talk about the worship style, you know, they're traditional or contemporary, or they got a really cool worship leader with skinny jeans, great hair product, tattoos. But most often, you know what people say about the church? We're not known for what we're for, but what we're against. Uh Oh, they don't like this and they don't believe in that. And they don't go there or associate with that type of person. Now, what if instead of being known for what we're against, we were known for what we're for, for love, grace, compassion, generosity? Did you know that Jesus gives us one example and only one of how the world will know that we are his followers? Jesus said it this way in John 13, 34 to 35. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if people would say about us, did you see the grace and forgiveness they displayed toward that person? It's mind blowing the way they care for one another. I mean, they're so full of grace and compassion. Those Christians, I may not completely agree with what they believe, but they always stand with the oppressed and give to those who are hurting. I mean, the church down the street, they helped me rebuild my house after the tornado. They helped tutor my child. Man, those Christians are the most compassionate, grace-filled, loving, generous people I've ever seen. Wouldn't it be amazing if we as Christians were known for what we're for, not what we're against? Now, how do we get there? You know, like practically in everyday life, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're on social media, when you're dealing with complicated people and so much pain and anger in the world, how do we unite in one voice? Well, Paul gave us a clue in Romans 15:7. He said, Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. We glorify God by accepting others. Now, the term accept one another, proslambano, is a picturesque Greek phrase. It has great depth of meaning. (laughs) Essentially, it means to open up your arms and take a person to yourself. It means to embrace someone. I'm not going to just let you pass me by. I'm going to reach out and pull you toward myself. That's what acceptance means. I want you to feel my love, to know that you belong, you matter, that I care about you, and God loves you. It's to pull someone close. And how do we accept people who are different from us? I mean, that's tough, isn't it? How do we pull people in who are different, radically different, like radical perspectives we don't believe in, radically different backgrounds? Paul said, You accept one another just as Jesus accepted you. How did Jesus accept you? How did he accept me? Look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we deserve nothing at all but judgment, Jesus loved us and died for us. When you were imperfect, unrighteous, ungodly, ugly, like when you were U G L Y, you ain't got no alibi. When you were busy sinning against a perfect, holy God, that's when and how God loved you. So that's how you accept one another, the same way Jesus accepted you. I mean, no matter how ugly someone is being toward you, or your values, or your ideals, you love and accept them just as Christ accepted you. Mm. That means we're gonna have to lay down our right to be right at times, doesn't it? And trust me, I know this isn't easy. I have my issues, I have my passions, I have my bias in many areas, theologically, politically, economically, socially, I get this isn't easy. And I don't think I'm right about my opinions. I know I'm right just ask my wife or my friends. I can be dogmatic at times, but to move forward in unity as a church, we have to lay down our rights, our opinions, our perspectives for the sake of unity so that we can be unified around the truth that is our mission, that Jesus is the son of God and he alone changes lives. So what do we need to come together? A common enemy and a common mission. We have one enemy. He's very real. He's attacking inside and outside the church right now, and he is killing it. I mean, everyone's on edge and blowing up at each other. And we as Christians have to say, enough, Satan. Enough. I'm not going to be your pawn for disunity. Folks, there's a very real spiritual war going on. And the sides are not the left versus the right. It's the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. We have one common enemy. So let's stand against him and not each other. And we do that through love. We do that through unity. We do that through acceptance. And then we have one mission, people, making disciples, reaching every man, every woman, and every child with the good news of Jesus. And folks, we don't have a chance of reaching the world if all they see from the church is hatred, disunity, and a critical spirit that doesn't accept those on the outside. I mean, Jesus couldn't have been any clearer. The world will know we are his followers by our unity and the way we love one another. Period. End of story. World's not going to know us just by how we vote or what we post online or what we're against. They're going to know us by how we love one another. And you say, well, what can the power of love do for our world? Let me tell you about the power of love. Power of love, it's a curious thing. And I'm tempted to break into a Huey Lewis song right now, but I won't. And some of you will get that. But here's the deal. There's no force in the world stronger than the love of Jesus. And I believe that because I've seen it with my own eyes. Folks, his love can turn a big-time sinner into a forgiven saint, a child of God. His love can overcome hatred, prejudice, racism. Do we need that in our world today? You better believe it. The power and love of Jesus can break the chains of addiction. The power and love of Jesus can help people forgive and heal broken relationships. The power and love of Jesus can free people from the bondage of materialism and debt The power and love of Jesus can calm anxiety, relieve stress, and give you a supernatural peace that goes beyond your human understanding. The power and love of Jesus can bring revival and heal a nation. Yes, you heard me right. God's supernatural power can change the tide of an entire culture, but it won't be legislated by the government. It'll be initiated by the Holy Spirit transforming people's hearts one life at a time. And that movement begins with us, the church, living on mission. Folks, that's the power of love. So I appeal to you, I beg you, I plead with you, for Jesus' sake, can we stay on the mission Jesus gave us (laughs) to stand united around the gospel message and bring the good news of the love and grace of Jesus to a lost, broken world. Let's remember this, church family. We have one common enemy and one common mission. Father, would you help us to demonstrate your love in order to make you known? Would you forgive us, myself included, because we often get distracted. We forget who the real enemy is. We forget what the real mission is. God, would you bring us back to where we need to be to recognize that we can love and pray for the supposed enemies around us, the people that we disagree with, and we can unite together as a church body and accept and embrace one another in love and we can live on mission. And as you said, Jesus, it's only going to be by our unity and by the way that we love one another and love people in this world, that we will impact the world, that we will be different, that we will stand out, that we will be light in a dark world. So God, help us to remember who the real enemy is, and help us to live on mission, to take personal responsibility to go and make disciples of all nations. And Lord, we just trust you that no matter what happens in the days and weeks and months and years ahead, you are sovereign and you will accomplish your purposes. And God, I pray that we can be a part of that here at Hill Country Bible Church Georgetown, that we would live on mission and reach many, many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.